We are Hummus and Tech, and we're recording from Google for Startup Campus, Google's home for startups. We are now in their creator studio, a state-of-the-art video and podcast room available to startups for free. Welcome to Hummus and Tech, the first podcast by Olim and for Olim interested in the Israeli high-tech industry. We're Maggie and Kevin, and we're here today with Leah from AppWest, who is a principal. Leah, hi. Hi, hey, guys. welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So first of all, I'm going to ex try to like explain um, what is a principal and how, you know, how do you get that job? Sure. So um, a principal at a VC fund, uh, the title honestly definitely varies a bit between each fund. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that, you know, for me, um, I've been with UpWest for about two and a half years. Okay. Uh, when I first joined the fund, my title was associate and my focus was primarily on deal flow mm -hmm. uh, so finding startups for startups for us to invest in uh, and then handling the due diligence research so really the market research that would go into mm -hmm. those deals mm -hmm. um, you know over time as my role has just grown within the team uh, I was promoted to reflect that so now really my focus you know it continues to be that part of the pipeline so finding sourcing investments um, much more hands-on in the due diligence process now than I was before. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I'm a more active role, I guess, in all facets of the investment team. I would say about 70% of my job is focused on new investments, so everything that goes into into a deal. And then the other roughly 30% of my job is working with the existing portfolio company CEOs. That's so Ooh. cool. And, well, first of all, as everyone that has been hearing us for a couple of times, um, this is the first time we actually have a different point of view because we usually interview people who are working in a startup. And this is the first time that we're actually interviewing someone that works for a VC. So we're like super happy to have you and hear your point of view about the startup nation and how this whole boom was created. So um, tell us a bit about how did you get to Israel? Because you're not from here, right? Correct. I'm from New York originally. Um, I moved here a few years ago when I joined up West. Uh, grew up in New York, like I said. My dad's American. My mom is Israeli. Oh, so, okay. There you go. Yeah, so mm. I grew up with a connection to this place, but had never actually properly lived here before. Um, and basically, you know, I was doing the the pretty standard, I guess, post-university route in the U.S. What where, did you study? Uh, nothing directly related to what I do, although actually my degree has been surprisingly helpful in unexpected ways. Uh, but I studied public policy, and I had minors in economics and Spanish. Um, so, well, that's a nice yeah, surprise. Yeah, we can definitely Spanish, switch to Spanish. No, supuesto, yeah. <laughs> um, so when you were studying that, did you ever like see yourself working in a VC or anything related to funding? Funny question. Um, actually, I started university thinking that I wanted to go into politics. Oh. Yeah. So that's why you studied like public policy? Exactly. Um, and... My second year of school, I realized basically after working on a presidential campaign that that was not what I wanted to do. Um, and not long after that, actually, I did an exchange semester at Tel Aviv University. Uh, so I spent about six months here in Tel Aviv. Uh, and it's pretty hard to spend six months here and not get immersed in the tech scene. So that was definitely when my interest in tech started. Okay. And that's what made you also fall in love with the country? Um, sort of. I always felt a very strong connection to Israel. I don't think I would have chosen to study abroad here otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, but my relationship with Israel definitely changed then because my mom is from here. So I grew up thinking of this as, you know, the place that my mom is from. Mm -hmm. uh, but being here on my own for about six months, you know, it, it allowed me to, I guess, build my own relationship with the country. Okay. Mm. And let's... Talk. Yeah, let's talk about UpWest. So it, UpWest is it's uh, an American VC. 
which has a branch here in Israel, right? Correct. So we are a Silicon Valley-based fund. We do pre-seed and seed stage investments in... What's is the difference like for people who are new to this, people who don't know nothing about the tech and how the money to fund a company comes? Like, let, let's explain everything. Good question. So pre-seed, uh, as the name suggests, comes typically before seed funding. Um, a pre-seed investment, you know, there's, there's no rule for how large uh, a round has to be. But I would say in today's funding climate, Pre-seed rounds are typically a million dollars or less mm -hmm. uh, in total, and they are investments into companies that are brand new, uh, that usually don't have a finished product, or if they do have a finished product, you know, they have no traction with it yet. So they have no uh, pilots or maybe early pilots, but they definitely don't have paying customers yet. Um, so it's really money to help push things forward for a very, very early stage startup as opposed to seed where, again, things are still quite early. But I would say there's usually some sort of real quantifiable metrics that you can look at for seed. Mm -hmm. So often there's a finished product, but again, not necessarily because it also depends on the type of product you're building. Um, but there's definitely more early signals from customers. So sometimes you have paying customers, sometimes you don't. You can tell that you know it's all quite murky here, right? So yeah. there's a lot of factors that kind of go into differentiating between a pre-seed and a seed stage deal. Um, early stage investing is definitely much less of a numbers focused business compared to late stage when you're what do you mean why and what do you mean sure so late stage uh, which I would identify as being like series B or later uh, is much more numbers driven because at that point you have you know a proper business with uh, paying customers and Uh, re real revenues to look at. Mm -hmm. So from the investor standpoint, it's much easier for them to play around in an Excel spreadsheet, plug in numbers, get some outputs and say, you know, this does or doesn't look like a good investment for us to make. But at the early stages, um, you have many other factors at play that just aren't quantifiable because, you know, there isn't a finished product, there aren't paying customers, um, you're still identifying the market. So I personally kind of describe all early stage startups as being a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. To me, every startup is a hypothesis until they've raised Series A. Because really, that's the er like th that's the earliest one. This huh? is this is my view. So okay. generally, the way it looks with fundraising, you have pre-seed, then seed. Of course, some companies don't do pre-seed; they go straight to seed. It depends. Oh, okay, that's also a possibility. Totally. Okay. Um, and then after seed, there's Series A, and then B, and you know the alphabet continues. Okay. Cool. And what do you think is one of the biggest challenges for companies for startups here in Israel if they are aiming to? to expand into the U.S. Or, or even target their first market as the U.S.? What's the biggest challenge there for a startup? Oh, that's a good question. Um, there's there's many challenges. I I struggle to generalize, but I would say that, you know, the largest one often for companies that are based here is just that you're literally not in your market. Um, and how do you know what the customer wants when they're in, when they're in they're another continent? It, yeah. mm -hmm. Right? That's there's so many differences that people don't expect. And I see that all the time. From when I meet with entrepreneurs here, you know, they assume that because an industry works a certain way in Israel, that it will work the same way in the U.S. But first of all, regulations are different. Second of all, the the types of technologies people choose to use here are different. Um, it, you know, like, for example, if you're a company that is working in the fintech space in Israel, the entire banking paradigm here is so different from in the U.S. from a regulatory standpoint, but also just from like best practices and the expectations, uh, certainly customer service. Yeah. Like yeah. That's interesting. Oh, that's yeah, that's a very <laughs> nice point we'd like to talk about after. Huh. Um, it's also interesting that 
for example, I think maybe I, I'm I don't have a clear picture of the whole market, but here in Israel you see far more cybersecurity companies than fintech companies, for example. Definitely true. Um, what do you think makes is? I mean, I think I can reply my own question. What do you think makes mm -hmm. Israel so strong in cybersecurity? <laughs> dun, dun. Yeah, right. I mean, th that you know, th that just comes straight from people's experience in the IDF, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if you look at most of the founders of top cyber companies here in Israel, they were in some sort of tech unit when they were in the army, either Shmone Matayim or Shmone Echad or something like that. Mm -hmm. Which um, for everyone who's listening and do not know, there's a, like very elite units in the army for like people who study like computer science or they're very involved into intelligence. Exactly. And so people then directly translate those skills. That's also, I think, one of the reasons, you know, why there's such strong R&D coming, coming out of Israel. First of all, the company uh, invests a lot in R&D uh, per capita compared to other countries. Um, we're usually ranked, I believe, in the top five for OECD countries uh, in R&D spend per capita. So there's a lot of investment and focus on that here. Um, plus, you know, that coupled with people's experience during their like mandatory military service. Mm -hmm. And since you have been working uh, for, for uh, quite a while now, have you seen some trends changing or going? Like, what do you see are the trends right now for startups? Definitely. So um, again, for, for you know everyone who's listening, my investment focus is pre-seed and seed stage companies, so very early stages. Uh, so what I see is not necessarily the same as the trends uh, that people at later stages would, would report. Um, but what I've been seeing, there's definitely always a lot of cyber in Israel, as we already uh, mentioned. I would say, though, compared to a few years ago, I'm seeing a lot more companies that are doing cyber for X, meaning, you know, cyber for a specific industry. Specifically, there's a lot happening now in cyber for uh, Industry 4.0 mm -hmm. or cyber for IoT and connected devices. Um, of course, cyber for autonomous vehicles. Uh, that is that was especially hot, I would say, in 2017, 2018. And before it was like general cybersecurity, whatever. Correct. Like. So like endpoint solutions, um, things like that, mm -hmm. penetration testing, etc. Cool. That's so cool. And let's go back to like your own experience when it comes to like finding a job on the VC. You were in New York. Correct. So I was in New York. I was working in finance there. Uh, specifically, I was working in credit research. And I knew I was interested in venture. Um, I was talking to people in the VC industry in New York, thinking that I would stay there, uh, considered other cities actually in the U.S. And frankly, you know, for years I had thought about moving to Israel. I always really had it at the back of my head. But of course, moving to another country is not easy. Um, long story short, I woke up, literally woke up one day um, and decided that's it. I'm moving to Tel Aviv. Um, but I, I didn't really know any people in Israel. I had like three friends in this country. So I reached out to them asking, you know, what to do? How do you find a job? Uh, just general logistical questions anyone asks when they're thinking about moving. What do I do in, during the weekends? There's no public transportation. What can I do? Right. That's the first question. Yeah. For me. Well, yeah. I had spent enough time in Israel to, okay. to know that stuff. Um, but basically, you know, the the smart advice I was given was save up your money, move to Israel unemployed, do what you can to start, you know, reaching out to people and networking before you move. But understand that no one's going to hire you before you physically move here. Uh, and I think that that's the wise advice. That's definitely what I tell other people who reach out to me. 
Um, but I actually was really fortunate. Um, I was connected to UpWest while still living in New York. So the person who told me, you know, I would move here unemployed, uh, actually, I uh, used to work at UpWest. And one of the partners at the fund messaged him saying, hey, we're looking to hire somebody in Israel. Do you know anybody? Uh, so I was put in touch. It was a remarkably fast interview process. I was quite, quite fortunate. Um, basically, I woke up one day saying, I want to move to Israel. Almost exactly a month after I woke up with that decision, I had a job offer from wow. UpWest. That's such wow. a miracle. It was wild. So then I had to quickly give two weeks notice uh, to my job. Um, it's funny quitting a job and saying, you know, it's it's not that I hate your this job. Uh, it's just that I'm moving to another country. Right, yeah. Um, so that was funny. I had to quit the job, um, find someone to replace me in my apartment in New York, which also was remarkably easy. Everything just fell into place. Um, and then I packed my stuff up and I moved. I started here at UpWest exactly like three weeks after I got the job offer. Cool. When was that? Two years ago? A little bit over, about two and a half years ago. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned here that you knew very, very few people. Yeah. How was your process like? And this is more a general question, you know. Definitely. Uh, how was your process to adapt here and, and finding new friends and, you know, going out for a beer on Disney Golf? And, you know, who do you go out with? It's it's very challenging to move to a country where you don't know many people. Absolutely. Um. I was really lucky. First of all, I think people in the tech ecosystem in Israel are really friendly. And, you know, other Olim are really friendly, right? So when I first moved here, my friends were almost all either Americans or, you know, Olim from other English-speaking countries, which makes sense, right? You can really connect with them. Mm -hmm. um, and Olim relate and understand what you're going through, so they're very mm -hmm. eager to help. Yep. Um, over time, definitely have made a lot more Israeli friends as well. Um, my process adapting to life here actually was really easy. Um, I don't know. I, I never felt like I had any challenges. That's so cool. So you would recommend people who are trying to like move to Israel to actually come? Definitely. Um, I think, though, the important thing is make sure that you understand what you're getting yourself into. Life here is definitely very different from like the U.S., for example. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had spent a lot of time here before moving, so I came into it eyes wide open. That's so cool. Mm. Okay, that's very interesting Like to see to come you know to a place where because we usually interview people who come with Masa and they do have some sort of like different, yeah, totally different you know, story yeah different story like okay I came, I came with a group I was here for six months and then I moved straight forward so maybe the people who were in your Masa program eventually stayed which is very different to just coming to a very oh yeah I made Aliyah alone yeah, yeah you know so yeah. that's very it's different hard, it's, it's also a hard very brave tough, yeah tough decision what do you think were the the key things that made your success so smooth? Your your story here, like what what are the takeaways that we can get from here? Um, and I know you don't like generalizations. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good question. I'm thinking. Um, honestly, I moved here and it was very much sink or swim for me. So I landed here one day at 4:20 p.m. the Delta flight from New York, and I was in the office the next day at 8 a.m. So I didn't have time to process the fact that I had moved here. I showed up and just started working. Um, and it was amazing. And I think actually that's a really good representation of what our fund is like. We move very fast and um, there just isn't really, you know, there just isn't time. Uh, you have to keep going. Um, I would say for me from the beginning, it was very much sink or swim, but there was no sinking option. So I had to swim. Uh, and that was it for me. Settling into life in general in Israel, that was it for me. Settling into, you know, being in the tech ecosystem here, um, adapting to a new job. Because I hadn't worked in venture capital previously. Um, 
And it's very different investing in early stage companies compared to my prior role, which was working in financial research, where I was analyzing, you know, publicly traded much bigger companies. Yeah, much bigger yeah. companies. Here it's yeah, what you say it's more like about also intuition and understanding like bigger Definitely. picture and not about what you say, it's not about a, a math formula that's right. There are, actual results. Yeah, there are significantly fewer numbers to work with um, in early stage VC, which is a big part of why I love this job. It's mm -hmm. extremely creative, um, so it's very fun. Um, but you know, in terms of settling in to to life here and what that all was like, um, I I'm sure it was challenging, but I just didn't. It was no. You know what? I never had a day when I questioned the decision, um, and I never had a day when I was like. This is too much for me. But um, I think part of that is my personality, um, for sure. Um, part of it was that I just knew in my gut that this was the right decision for me to be making. Um, and frankly, you know, everything was so fast paced, right? I showed up, I landed one day, I was in the office the next day. Um, I started leading my own meetings alone with with entrepreneurs on my third day in the office. Wow, that's wow. so fast. Yeah. So um, wow. it was very much sink or swim, but there was no sink option. So I just had to swim. And I would say that's kind of how I would sum up my life in this country in general, right? That's you so You just cool. have to swim. Yeah, it, it's actually true. I mean, mm -hmm. but also like the pace of the country. Like everything yeah. moves so fast here. Um, yeah. Well, you're from New York, so maybe you're also like kind of like used to that but probably and my mom is Israeli which I think also helps with a lot of the the cultural differences yeah. yeah for sure um actually it's very funny you know living here every single day there's some other thing that happens and I'm like oh that explains this part of my childhood <laughs> <laughs> right yeah that's why I had to eat bamba you know yes <laughs> I'm sure um and well you mentioned that every very early stage startup for you it's an hypothesis yeah so What do you think? I know it's a bit the question, but what do you think makes a good idea? It has to come from a really big need. And I mean big in a few different ways. So first, of course, you know, anytime you're pitching a startup to an investor, you have to, one of the first things that you have to talk about in your pitch deck is the size of the market opportunity. Uh, broadly speaking, if you're pitching, you know, an early stage Um, company that's you know focused on the U.S. market. Everything I'm going to talk about is focused on the U.S. market. Of course, that's where you have experience. From. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you need to be able to say that the market size there is like at least five billion dollars just for the U.S. alone. Mm -hmm. um, so there's literally you know you need to show that the market's big in that sense, but also you need to be able to show that it's coming from a really strong pain because there's so many markets in the U.S. that are big. But maybe people don't really care about the particular problem you're trying to solve. Uh, making sure, I think, that whatever your company is doing is targeting something that's a need-to-have rather than a nice-to-have solution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's really crucial. That's so interesting. Okay. And for all those people who are thinking of having an idea or maybe just had that great idea, how would you say it's the process to reach out to a VC? Uh, definitely depends on the fund. So I know that a lot of VCs want warm introductions, meaning that you get to them. Uh, actually, the single best way to reach out to any fund, period, is through an introduction from an entrepreneur that they've invested in. Mm -hmm. Oh, so, okay. Mm -hmm. So that's, once again, we go through connections, right? Yeah. So in, in general, with any fund, that's us included. That's definitely the best way. Most funds um, prefer to receive warm intros, whether it's from, you know, either an entrepreneur they invested in or an entrepreneur they didn't invest in. Um, 
or maybe through another investor. Um, I think getting interest through other investors can be tricky. They can be very good. We've invested in companies who came to us away. But on the flip side, you know, my job as an investor is to ask questions and poke holes in things. And it's very easy for me to say, well, if this company is so amazing, why didn't that investor invest in the company? Right. Um, which, you know, obviously can be, you know, there's so many different reasons, right? For example, we only invest in companies targeting the U.S. So mm. if sometimes I meet companies who are targeting Europe, so we literally cannot invest. So I'll connect them to someone else. That's fine. Um, for us, though, we love cold outreach. Love, you love, 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 love really? Oh, wow. That's a shock. Whoa. Okay. Yes. Oh, my God. You have an idea for a startup? Like, please contact me. Um, I really mean that. So because we do such early stage investing, it's really important for us to meet. My goal is to meet every early stage company in this country. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of them. Uh, mm. <laughs> so it's a big goal. But um, we do a pretty good job, I think, of meeting all of the early stage startups here in Israel. And so a lot of that is because people are comfortable reaching out to us through cold emails. You can either email me directly. Um, people reached out to me on LinkedIn. Um, there's a form you can fill out on our website, just, um, you know, the standard info at UpWest type email situation. Okay. Um, and we've had people come to us through that. I can think of some amazing companies we've invested in where that's the way that, that we met them actually was them sending us a message through our website. Cool. So it's not actually that you are saying, but you have actually invested on companies that came that, that way. Yeah. yeah. Super cool. That's so cool. So, well, listeners, if you do have a startup... Do not be afraid to reach out to Lee. Apparently, yeah, we'll like she wants to know about you. Yeah, we'll post up West uh, links on on this podcast. Episode. Yeah, no, but it's also so nice to hear that you know, actually, when you think of AVC, you know, some people think of like this monstrous thing that it's scary and you know and formal and how do they reach out and unreachable and and now you come and you sit with us and and once again, thank you so much for joining us today. But just say like just ping me on LinkedIn and it's so nice to hear that you're so approachable at the same sense. Yeah, it's really important for us. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, as you know, in each episode, we have the Hebrew word of the day. So, we want to know what's your favorite Hebrew word. Oh, my favorite Hebrew. It's it's mm, it's a phrase. Is that okay? Yeah, we can we can change. It so, uh, para para. Okay. Definitely my favorite. I overuse it. What does can it you mean? Explain yeah. everyone. Yeah, what that means. It literally means cow cow. But that's not what it means, the <laughs> phrase. It's like it's like saying, you know, one at a time, um, step mm. by step. One cow, then the other cow, basically. Well, the only way you can count cows <laughs> is one at a time. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's actually where it comes from? Someone told me that. To be perfectly honest, I don't know if it's true. So we'll, we'll keep the mystery. We'll tell you next episode. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, everyone who has been listening to us. Please don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and on Facebook and give us a five-star rating. And see you soon. See you. Bye. 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 Thank you. Bye. Thank you.